from the Gospel of John, the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law, indeed, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> so the word that kept coming to mind about these days, and as I wondered about tonight, was relentless. Relentless, because the list and the litany of the things that I know are weighing on some of you and on me, and that I thought might bring us here for worship like this, just kept piling up and piling on in recent days. Of course, there's the news. <laughs> the wars and the rumors of wars, the natural disasters, the pending storms, the politics and the politics and the politics and the politics, too. I'm going to let all that news stuff speak for itself. Mostly, though, it's been the dying. So much dying. People losing parents and friends and family and children even. Sometimes after long, lingering sickness and disease. Sometimes quickly, if not unexpectedly. Sometimes in surprising, shocking, unsettling ways surrounded by circumstances no one could have seen coming. Of course, the grief of death shows up anyway in particularly painful ways at this time of year, whether it happened last week or a lifetime ago. But it's not just the dying that's relentless these days. There is the struggle of parenting that is overwhelming for some that I know. There are kids struggling with what it means to be a kid or to become an adult in this world. There are people whose jobs have been on the line and some who've lost what they were counting on 
in that regard. There are sick and aging parents and friends. There are failing marriages. There are broken relationships of all kinds that would, could, should be something so much more and better and different than they have turned out to be. There are burdens of anxiety and mental illness too numerous and nebulous to name, but that somehow have a very real weight and heft to them nonetheless. There are people carrying secrets too hard and too heavy to carry on their own or to speak out loud from here. So, I'm sorry and not sorry for those of you with whom I've already shared this little video. It added something to our Bethel Bible study class a couple weeks ago where I used it to talk theology and about the nature of God. Then it came up again unexpectedly during our Stephen ministry discussion last week where I used it thinking clinically about how to deal with each other in caring relationships. And when something like this won't leave my mind or keeps popping up in relevant, meaningful, surprising ways, I feel like maybe I'm supposed to take notice of that and pay a little bit more attention and maybe keep learning from whatever that thing might be. So I want to share with those of you who haven't seen it and again with those of you who have and wonder about it together in light of whatever it is that brings us here for a service like this at Christmas time. All you need to know about this video is that it's Brene Brown's voice. You're hearing, some of you will recognize that and wonder, why do I know that voice? But she's a, for those of you who don't know, she's a social worker, sociologist, professor, lecturer, podcaster. Someone has taken one of her lectures and turned it into a cartoon for some extra effect and, I think, added meaning. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's, a, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. 
Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. What makes something better is connection. So much of the truth about Christmas, which so often gets lost in the mix of everything we have done and still try to do to the most wonderful time of the year. So much of the truth about Christmas is acknowledging the fact that life in this world is relentless. And the story of our faith never suggests that that's not true. God never suggests that that's not true. In fact, a friend of mine once pointed out that the Bible itself, the very story of our faith found in Scripture, reads like some kind of trauma response narrative, when you think about it. From Adam and Eve, to Cain and Abel, to the Tower of Babel, to the exodus from slavery in Egypt, to the exile in Babylon, on through the life and resurrection and death of Jesus Christ, our faith's story is one tragedy after another tragedy, after another, after another, after another, when you think about it. Some cosmic in scope and scale, some more personal and close to home. Whatever the case, even scripture is a reminder that life in this world can be relentless, even for people of faith, maybe especially for people of faith who have their hearts and their minds and their lives tuned to music of someone and of something greater than themselves. But the other hard truth is, faith doesn't and will not take away our grief in one fell swoop, nor should it. Faith can't reverse our deepest, darkest thoughts all on its own, all of the time. Nor should it. Faith won't fix your anxiety or ease your depression if you can muster whatever enough of that sort of faith is supposed to look like. Faith won't keep your problems at bay or make your life easier at every turn, as much as we wish that were true. No matter what some preach or teach or post on social media, or have tried to make you believe in one way or another, loving God and having faith is not a prescription against suffering or struggle in this relentless world where we live.
promise of Christmas and the point of that little video about empathy, if you ask me, is a reminder about the kind of God we're dealing with in Jesus. It's not a God like so many other false gods, drugs or alcohol, self-reliance, our own bootstraps, our own best intentions, our own busy schedules, or whatever it is we use to fix ourselves. The promise of Christmas is not about a God or about gods who stand up there and out there far, far away in a galaxy somewhere else from what hurts us most. It's not about a God or gods who offer us sandwiches or simple solutions or sweet supplication to fix whatever is the matter. The promise of Christmas is not of a God who does not or who has not lived and experienced and felt just exactly what we live and experience and feel as a people on the planet. Ours is a God who shows up in the midst of whatever mess we find ourselves and sits with us there and shows us that it is endurable, that it is doable, and that we are able to overcome it. Ours is a God who shows up in ways as tangible as one of these prayer shawls that you were invited to take and wrap yourself up in tonight before you leave, if you like. Ours is a God who comes down as surely as this bread and wine that we will eat and drink and taste and smell and share in a moment. Ours is a God who is sitting next to you now in this worship, in the presence of someone who has struggled and suffered too, who is struggling and suffering beside you even now. Ours is a God who is even more relentless, more patient, more persistent, more vulnerable than whatever brings us here and that will carry with us even after we leave. Ours is a God who comes down in Jesus to remind us that there is grace and that there is love and that there is mercy and that there is hope embodied and emboldened in the world around us by faithful, loving, kind people and pastors and parents. Friends and family and strangers, even. Fellow travelers on this journey. So I hope... Some of you came here tonight selfish. Selfishly looking and longing for something even if you aren't sure what that would be. I hope others of you came here tonight, whether you knew it or not, looking and longing to enter into this sacred space to simply sit with and to be alongside the others. I hope each of us sees our potential to be both of those things at one time or another, depending on the day. And I hope we see it all as a picture of the very real promise and the great, deep, wide hope of Christmas. This wild, miraculous notion of the word and the ways of God making the vulnerable, loving choice to become flesh and to live among us. The love of God putting on skin and bones, not just in the person of Jesus, born in a manger in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago, but alive and well in God's children, in God's people, 
just like you and me. The love of God born to give and to receive the kind of grace and mercy and peace that is ours because we are God's for each other and for the sake of the world into which he comes at Christmas. Sharing love and hope and connection that promises the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting on this side of heaven and the next. Amen.